And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Howdy, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. It's a snowy Tuesday, and uh, we've got uh, the Excella Corridor Adventure Queen, AJ Maletsko. Uh, we'll get into some of that in a minute, but it's good to hear from you and good that you're safe and sound in your car right now. Yes, I made it. It was, uh, it is, it, well, we'll call it an adventure. I like that. That that makes it sound a little more exciting than it was, but uh, I was ready. I was ready for Isles game day, but now I'm headed home. Yes, she is headed home because uh, I think as the whole world knows by now, there is no Islander game tonight. They were supposed to play the Sabres, the first of two. Uh, Buffalo, uh, you know, it's, it's a game of contact tracing at this point. The Devils and the Sabres played in Buffalo over the weekend. Um, after the Devils' last game, they had five guys go on the COVID protocol list. Um, the Sabres, according to our John Vogel, were not happy about that situation because the Devils had had a couple of guys go on. I think Travis Zajac went on right before the weekend series started. Cal Palmieri went on between games, and they still played both games. So I think the Sabres are a little bit annoyed or a lot annoyed about that. Um you know, contact tracing and the and the needing time to make sure that there's enough negative tests before the Sabres headed down here um, means that this game tonight uh, is postponed indefinitely. You'd have to think Thursday is probably going to be postponed indefinitely as well, just to, to err on the side of caution. And then uh, we'll see where the Islanders stand. They're obviously fine. They'll be practicing all week if that's what it comes to. And then they'll play the Penguins on Saturday, most likely. Be that as it may, um, our first segment, we'll be talking about what happened in the last week, which was really nothing good. So um, <laughs> I think the last time we recorded, we were heading into two games in Washington and two games in Philly, and they did get two points out of the games in Philly. But man, there were some there were some uncharacteristic moments in those four games from what we've seen from Barry Trotz's Islanders. Well, if we're going to talk about the bad stuff to start, then I think my connection might be cutting out and you can just <laughs> carry this section for us, Arthur. Uh, no, it was it, it's a rough week right now in Isles country, and uh, it's hard to watch as fans. And obviously for you and I who cover the team, um, we're looking for the positive and And, you know, in a normal 82 game season, you can rebound from this. Teams have bad starts or bad stretches. I mean, look at last year, right? The Islanders obviously had that great start with that 17 game point streak and then and they had that horrible skid at the very end of regulation before the pause. And they went on to compete right up until uh, the Eastern Conference final. So there's there's all sorts of ways teams can get around this. But of course, this year is unprecedented. It's a 56 game season. Um, and I think what's hard about it is that the adjustments that they've made, whether it's by personnel or whether it's by the way that Barry is trying to motivate his team. And you can see different ways right after the first game against Washington, he was angry in his press conference and he was, he was didn't mince words. And then after the second game, he was a little bit softer, basically saying we need to rekindle the joy. So he's trying different things because he recognizes that, you know, in this, not only a shorter game, a shorter season, rather 56 games, but also it's all to all intra-divisional. 
So you can lose ground so quickly, which they have, right? They, they go on this losing, losing streak and every night they're giving up points to their own division. Um, as we were saying before, it's a, every night's a four point night right now on the flip side of that, if they go on a pretty good streak, winning streak, that is, um, they could make up some of this lost ground pretty quickly. But, you know, I think for them right now, it's, it's just hard to watch because it's over the last two years with the Lou Lamorello and Barry Trotz tandem, this is not the Islanders that we've become used, we've become used to seeing, right. They're not playing that structure. They're the details the you know, the lazy icings or they're, you know, they've been good in the face-off dot. So there is some of those details that are there, but it's, it's been, it's just been frustrating and, and it's hard to know why it's happening. Yeah. And I think we'll try to break it down a little bit. And certainly there were some, some more obvious culprits that are not necessarily uh, <clears throat> main, you know, regular contributors. Um, you know, you can kind of point to Leo Komarov. We'll get into that in a minute. I've, we threw out a, some, we, our last segment, we'll do some Twitter questions and Leo's name has come up a lot. So we'll save that one for the end. But I think more central to what the Islanders identity has become uh, you think about some of the regular guys that maybe are not producing the way that they should. And one of them was somebody Barry Trotz talked about today in his in his Zoom, uh, and that's Brock Nelson. And nobody can say anything bad about what Brock Nelson did the last two years. You know, he, he was a guy who never really found a, a consistent spot under the previous uh, two coaches. You know, they shifted him from center to wing when he first came up. He sometimes played with John Tavares way back when. He was a guy who used to get off to a hot start. The Brocktober hashtag uh, was always a legendary one. Uh, and then he'd cool off a little bit. But I think in the last two years, it's not a stretch to say that he's been their best, most consistent player. As Barry said, he's been Barry's go-to forward, um, even on a team with Matthew Barzell on it. So uh, to see him struggling the way that he has, and uh, you mentioned the icings, you know, he had one where he was a couple feet from the red line and iced a puck uh, in Washington that was it turned into a lost face. He lost the faceoff, turned right into a goal for the Caps. Um, these aren't things you're used to seeing for Brock Nelson. Some things you're not used to seeing from Josh Bailey, who did score his first goal of the season on Sunday uh, after having been switched from Nelson's right wing. Um, but when you have a guy that, that, that's, that's that integral and that reliable for a guy like Barry Trotz, who, who relies on his veterans so much, um, you know, it, it's obviously a huge blow because you don't really know how to get out of it other than hoping this guy will turn it around. Right. And I think that when you look at the one of the strengths of this team, when you look before this season, right? So looking last year, especially with the Pajot pickup at the trade deadline. So the last month or so, five weeks of the season, and then into the playoff bubble this past summer, you look at the strength down the middle, right? Matt Barzell, obvious the strength and the, the value that he adds to this team. And then you have Brock Nelson, who's more up until this point has been more of a 200 foot player, obviously can all add offense. He's got a big rangy frame. He can kill penalties. He can play on the power play. He's been a very versatile. And as you said, consistent player for Barry Trotz. And then you had JG, JG Pajot, who does sort of solidify that line. And, and up until this year, that fourth line has been so solid and so consistent, and they've been virtually invisible. So I think that that's one thing that you look at when you have one piece fall out of line, right? Whether it's a, the Brock Nelson, um, Brock Nelson piece, is it which, which I guess, which comes first, the chicken or the egg is him falling out of line. Is it because of a shortened preseason? Is it because of the weird timing? Is it, is it just these intangibles? I don't know. Um, and, and how does he snap out of it? Right. Does he have something else going on right now that, you know, they don't always disclose all the physical ailments that these guys have. Um, and, or is it just a mental thing that he's got to figure out 
playing with Bovillier and Bailey and, and, and athletes have ebbs and flows and they're allowed to, they're human, right? So you got Bovillier on the shelf right now. And then you have Nelson and Bailey who are sort of struggling. And then you keep a rotating door on the other side of them. I did like that switch that Barry Trotz made with Bailey and Eberly. Um, Cause I thought Everly joined the Nelson line for that third period, this, the second game against the caps, I think it was. Um, and it was like, he was shot out of a cannon for yeah. a couple shifts. Right. And he brought the energy and he brought the, um, the pace. Um, and I, and Bailey jumped right in on the top line. Cause right now Lee and Barzell are working like a well-oiled machine in my yeah. opinion. But in this, in the last game, um, that these guys played against Philly, that top line with Bailey on there, they had 14 shots on goal, right? I mean, they're, they're certainly generating the offense. Um, but it, you know, back to your point of how do you get Nelson going and how integral is that? I think you see how integral it is when he doesn't offer what he usually does. And it reminds me a little bit last year when Pellick went on the shelf, you sort of appreciate it after the fact. You're like, oh, wow, that's actually a really important piece of this puzzle. And so, you know, these athletes, they don't have as much time this year. Nelson's got to figure out how to get his game going. Um, he's He has done some good things, but for the most part, he's been, he has been invisible. He's got to figure out how to generate some of that offense, use his size, use his shooting, um, and still be as as physically tough to play against as he has been in the past. Yeah, you talk about kind of the, the revolving door. I mean, it, you know, your line mates, if you're Brock Nelson, you're a veteran, you need to be, you know, able to generate your own offense and be the guy in the middle who's, who's helping this line to, to be good while you get through till Anthony Beauvillier comes back. Um, you know, they had Leo Komarov on that line, I think for, uh, for Thursday's game in Washington didn't go very well. Um, and then it was Dimitro Timoshov making his Islander debut on Sunday uh, on that, also on that line. And he really struggled, too, and didn't play in the third period or overtime. So the consistency part is tough, especially if you're used to being, you know, if you're a Jean-Gabriel Pajot, I imagine the inconsistency being the only consistency in terms of your, your wingers, you get used to it and you put it out of your head. But if you're a guy like Nelson who doesn't change line mates very often and hasn't for the last couple of years, if you're not sure what you're getting out of at least one of your wings, I imagine... That's not the recipe for for dragging yourself out of a funk. So, um, you know, Beauvillier did skate today on his own. Uh, if there's no games until Saturday, maybe that helps with him getting back and maybe that helps with that line getting back. So um, that's the second line. And you mentioned, AJ, the fourth line really has struggled. They've had some better moments, I think, the last couple of games, but still not where they need to be. And, and if we're looking for any other any other holes, I guess, you know, Ilya Sorokin played a lot better uh, against Philly the other night and he made two of the best saves I think that have been made in the NHL this year in that game. Um, one of them on Claude Giroux with about two and a half minutes left and they would have got no points out of that. And it would have been no fault of Sorokin's for that one. But I do having said all that um, there were a couple goals. I thought uh, that maybe the first two of Joel Farabee's goals in that game that were kind of direct on, they were, you know, one was a low to high. The other was a quick shot that Pellick may have deflected, but I think high, shoulder shots for a guy who's 6-3 you don't want to see those go in with such regularity and I you know and you have to roll with the the punches with a new guy but you know for you how much of it do you think was a little bit on him and how much of it is just the team just isn't playing well enough around him 
Uh, well, I think it's more the latter. Um, I, I agree with you that he's going to, he, you know, I mean, goalies typically, we haven't gotten to know him so much yet. Um, we've had a couple of zooms with him, but, and he's certainly working hard and endearing himself to the media, at least just because he's excited to be here. But, you know, he hasn't, since he's played, he hasn't really been available to the media and for obvious reasons, right. Especially in the era of zoom, uh, the Islanders have control over who they put in front of the camera, as opposed to just opening the room like they used to do, where we could go and find whoever we wanted. Um, you know, and I think somebody like, um, Sorokin is adjusting to this game and he's doing a fantastic job because of that save. And then the one early in the, in the first period, I think it was on the five on three, or maybe one of the penalties that just expires, maybe it was a five on four, but it was on a penalty kill. And he made a tremendous, his right to left save. I think it was on Borachek, but I might be wrong on that too. Again, I'm driving. So just a reminder, I'm, I'm watching the road. Um, but I, you know, that to me was um, it, that that's starting to build up that ever important confidence between a goalie and the players. And they can say all they want. Oh, he's great in practice. He does this or we watch him work. But until he comes up with pre- saves like that, that's going to be sort of that intangible trust that's building between the two of them. Now the team has to start building their trust up with him too. And they've got to start playing a little bit better. And uh, I worry that this becomes a little bit of a mental game, right? Once and with anything, if a scorer goes into a slump or, you know, whatever it may be when a goalie hasn't won with his new team yet, and he comes in very highly touted, that's a hard thing. And then it starts becoming sort of an animal unto itself. And, and, and that's my worry with him and net because they, they will, the players will think we've got to win for him. We got to win for him. And you'd think maybe that, and that could motivate them or that could get them sort of anxious maybe. Right. And holding onto their six a little bit too tightly. So they certainly need to play a little bit better in front of him or honestly in front of Varlamov too. They just need to play better. They're not, they're not playing great this season. We haven't really seen maybe the first game of the season, we saw a great Islanders team that we would like to see for the rest of the year. And I think since then it hasn't been the best that they can be in my opinion. Uh, and some games have been worse than others for sure. And there, there's good things to hang your hats on good moments, good periods. But, um, but, you know, I think back to the Sorokin thing, he, when you look at some of the goals that are scored on him, he's, he's going to be able to come up with those. And you talk about the high shots for a bigger goalie. And actually at six, three, that's probably an average goalie in the league right now. Um, But you know, you goalies want to make themselves look bigger. And there are sometimes he's out there that he, it's almost like he's making himself look smaller because I think he's trying to find the puck. And that goes to all the activity in the smaller ice surface, right? So there's a lot more chaos in front of him than he's used to. So he's maybe hunched over. It sounds weird, but he may be getting down low to try to find the puck. And that's making himself look smaller. And the biggest thing for goalies, you want to look bigger. Take away the space. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We mentioned a little bit about some of the inconsistencies with with the middle six in the lineup, some of that due to Anthony Bovillier's injury. But um, Jean-Gabriel Pajot has seen a, a, a real cornucopia of line mates so far, considering it's only nine games in. And Barry Trotz did say today that whenever they get back on the ice for a game, um, he's leaning towards making it a little bit more consistent for that third line. And he's got a lot of options there. You know, I think if we're looking for some of the positives so far, small though they may be, um, Kiefer Bellows and Oliver Wallstrom played a couple games together on Pajot's wings. They looked pretty good. Wallstrom had his first NHL goal in Washington. It hit off about 19 different people, but it still counts. And those two were able to, to kind of look pretty good consistently. And I think that was a big step uh, for Barry Trotz because he doesn't usually put two relatively unproven guys out there together, especially on the same line. And then he flipped it a little bit to get some more energy on Sunday, went with Austin Zarnick making his Islanders debut and Michael Del Col. And that line with Pajot, I thought was, might've been their best line for a couple of periods. They had a lot of energy. Del Col hit the post. It was real. It, it, it had a little fourth line energy to it. Like Zarnick is a little guy. He's a, he's a veteran, you know, a, a college hockey player who wasn't drafted Played about 115 games or so in the Flames and Bruins organizations. Um, was a regular with Calgary a couple of years ago and, and had a decent run. So I think this is a guy who's not a, a proven Islander commodity, but I think he's a proven NHL commodity as a as a 12th or 13th forward. And I think hearing Barry talk today about him being that energy guy, kind of like a you know a, a six man in basketball, someone who can come off the bench or come off the taxi squad and fill in every so often, probably going to be his role. So I would think that it's down to. Dal call Bellows Wallstrom for those two wing spots uh, on Pajot, on either side of Pajot. From what you've seen, AJ, who do you think fits there the best right now? Um, well, quickly, just on the Zarnik um, thing, I thought he was great. I really liked the way he played. I li- I agree with Barry. The energy he brought was great. It's not, you know, people may think he's a rookie. People are sort of keep putting him in the same category as Bellows and Wallstrom. And, and so I'm glad you re- sort of remind people he's been around and he's had great runs with Calgary. And I remember him when he was playing here in, in Boston, where I live. Um, but, I, you know, so for in terms of those other three, um, when Bellows and Wallstrom, to me, had their best game right before they were pulled out of the lineup. And I think that was probably confusing to Islanders fans, but what it tells me is that Barry Trotz is taking this tack, this ability to pull up and down from the taxi squad very seriously. And he's looking at the big picture for the season in that it's a short season, but you never know who's going on what COVID protocol lists at any time. And obviously injuries, you look at Beauvillier or what may happen. He's got to give these guys some chances, right? He's got to have them be around the team, whether it's on the taxi squad traveling, whether it's in practice, taking reps on the lines, right? And that's really important to him. So getting Timoshoff and getting Zarnik in was important. Um, now, going back to those three in your question, I really liked um, the Bellows-Wallstrom combination. And I'm not taking anything away from Michael Del because I thought he had a, some really, really good shifts. And he's been around and he's put in his time and his work. And he knows Barry Trotz's system a little bit better. Um, so I think he's going to – but for him to go up and down – is going to be a little easier because he's done it for the last two years, two years with Barry, um, as opposed to those other two. Um, one of the criticisms Barry Trotz has made of both Wallstrom and Bellows, he's overly positive, 
But what he said is that they still are young players. And when things get a little frenetic out there, which right now in the Eastern Division, every game is going to have some elements of chaos, that they fall back on their 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 young tendencies, right? Their junior tendencies. And they throw pucks away. And that was the big one that he commented on. Backhand up the middle. And he's big on puck management, especially on the defensive side of the red line. So, you know, I think that that's the sort of stuff that he has a little bit more trust in Dal Cole. Um, but on the other side, when you look at Pajot, he's such a good mentor. And and Pajot has told us in those Zooms, Arthur, that he he loves it. Those young kids, Bellows and Wallstrom, keep asking him questions. They keep asking him every time they come to the bench. They ask him where to be. What about this structure? How to do this? And it shows that they're really learning. But I think Pajot's a really good mentor for them. And so to put them together consistently might give Pajot some scores too. And he works so hard at both ends of the ice that I think all of us would love to see JG Pajot with somebody who can finish those uh, great setups that he has. So I, I would lean towards those two young kids, um, but I hate to say that because I do think Del Cole had a great game the other day. Yeah, I, I tend to think right now, and I'm basing it more off what we've seen from Barry rather than what my preference would be. I think he might split them up. I think you might see a Dal Cole Peugeot pairing for a little while, and then one of those two guys rotating in. The other aspect of it is, and we can't ignore it with the roster situation, Wallstrom and Bellows don't need waivers to go back and forth between the taxi squad. Dal Cole, Ross Johnston, neither of them have been put on waivers this year. Uh, Leo Komarov has already cleared waivers, so he can go back and forth to the taxi squad, I think, for a little while longer. And frankly, uh, Leo could go back on waivers. I don't think anybody's going to claim him. Um, but those other two have needed, you know, will need waivers if if you want to take them off the roster and they're they're at you know, they're pretty much at the limit. Um we didn't really get into what happened in Washington on Thursday, which was uh they decided to gamble with Ilya Sorokin, who's also waiver exempt, and put him on the taxi squad to make room for an extra forward, which meant Corey Schneider was backing up Semyon Varlamov. And you don't usually see Semyon Varlamov or any NHL goalies stay in after they give up five in about eight minutes, which is what happened in Washington in the second period. But it didn't seem to me that Barry was comfortable putting Corey Schneider in that game because you're not really looking at Corey Schneider as a viable option for this year. It's really Varlamov and Sorokin, and you're keeping Schneider just in case, like we said, COVID protocols, injuries, whatever. So there's also that roster movement situation. You got you to gotta juggle things properly. Um, so to my mind, I think it's, uh, you know, if I had to guess for the next game, I would say it's going to be Dalcol and Bellows on Peugeot's wing and Wallstrom, you know, you, you sort of hold him in reserve for a little bit, maybe Wallstrom and Bellows swap a little bit, but I, I get the sense that especially with the fourth line, not going as well as you want it to the second line, still finding its way. If you've got a guy in Dalcol who's playing that grinding style, which is, you know, what Michael Dalcol at his best will be as an NHLer. I don't think you're going to take him out, but you know we'll we'll definitely have to see. We you know Barry doesn't tip his hand too often, so. Um, well, what I'm going to be curious about is you mentioned that fourth line is how much how long a leash he gives them because they have built up a couple years worth of trust in him and the way they've played, but so far this year they haven't done much. So does he shake them up to try to invigorate them and maybe put them back together eventually? And that's I'm going to be curious when if that happens and when because I think he's got to start thinking about it maybe. Yeah. And I think, too, that's a spot, uh, you know, Cal Clutterbuck and Casey Zizekas 
have their penalty kill roles, which they're going to stick with. So they'll probably be in the lineup. I think it's the Matt Martin spot that probably is the one that would change. And I think if you've got Michael Del Call playing the way that he played the other night, that's not a bad spot for him either to sub in for Matt Martin. And then maybe you put the two kids up with Pajot. So they've got some options. Um, they don't really have options big picture roster wise without maybe putting somebody on waivers. But, uh, but once they get past that point, yeah, they do have some options with that bottom six, maybe to get them going. I wanted to, before we get into the last segment of questions from you fans, um, we haven't really talked about the defense core. There's been some good moments. Noah Dobson, we talked about a little bit. Uh, you know, Nick Letty had a goal the other night. Um, Adam Pellick had a pretty good game, kind of helped jumpstart the offense. Also, Scott Mayfield, and I think there was a lot of credit given to the D for being able to, to be active and kind of create a lot and keep the pucks in uh, against Philly to help them get back, come back from two tools down the first time they did it on Saturday. But, um, there were some gap issues, I think in a few of those games in their own end, which is also something we haven't seen a lot from this team in their, in the defensive zone. Is that a matter for you, AJ, of, um, you know, a group that's still, you know, needing to play at a high level and, and not finding its way, or is it factor forwards? You know, there's always a lot of things that go into defensive zone play and it's not just the six guys who play defense. Well, and, and that's that's the key for me. Um, and this is speaking as somebody, you know, I played in two Olympics. I was a center in one and I was a defenseman in the other. So I, I can look at it from both sides. Um, and as a center, I was a very much more of a defensive. I was a faceoff specialist and I was really good, known for my defensive play, not necessarily offensive output. So I always look at the D zone as a five-man unit or six-man unit too, if you include the goalie, because they do play a pretty critical role too. Um, but the way that the five players move together has been a, the smoothness with which a Barry Trotz coach team moves together, I think has been something that we've has been very notable over the last two years. And therefore it's even more jarring this year when they don't seem to be. And I can, there've been goals where you've seen the forwards, um, you know, run into each other, literally physically run into each other and almost set picks on each other or, um, you know, whatever it may be, they, they get a little bit turned around. They get flat footed get some of the goals that the flyers scored against them. Now they were beautiful passing plays. Um, so it's tough to give the flyers credit, but you've got to a little bit on those first two, two first period goals they scored. Um, uh, but the, you, if you watch the Islanders, they, they get sort of puck watching. Right. And when I say that, I mean, both the defensemen and the forwards, they all play a critical role. So I, I do think that there is, um, one area that I think the defensemen are doing a good job is they're gapping up in the neutral zone typically. And I think overall they've been pretty good about that. Once the other team gains the zone, then, then I think they've struggled. And, uh, you know, and if I'm, if I'm coaching against the Islanders, I'm going to tell them to chip and charge for the first half of the game, put the puck behind the defenseman, make the defenseman go back and retrieve it and then put pressure on them because they're having trouble breaking out. Right. And then once you do that, then you make, that would make the, def- the Islanders defenseman back off a little bit and it gives you more room to enter the puck with uh, enter the zone with possession. So uh, what I'd like to see maybe is more communication. And, you know, I don't know. It's interesting to me that I don't hear them when I'm in the arena because there's no crowd. So you would be able to hear them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder now without a game tonight, potentially without a game Thursday, does this practice do these three days of practice bonus practice time come at a perfect time for them to sort of write the ship because there isn't going to be a lot of practice this season. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream directly 
DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So now for our last segment, uh, we'll take some Twitter questions. And as always, you guys on Twitter are very vocal and have lots of questions. So I'm going to sift through. Uh, Isles Dave, David Horowitz, has the question that I've been asked a lot, not always in the form of a question, but I hear it a lot, which is, what does Barry still see in Leo? And Leo being Leo Komarov. Leo had an exceptionally unfortunate week, I guess is the nicest way to put it. Um, in that game last week, uh, a week ago, which I think was his first game of the year against Washington, took a major boarding penalty in a 2-2 game with nine minutes to go. Islanders killed that off and looked great. Barry put him back out for a couple of shifts and on a sort out, three-on-three back check, completely whiffed. Puck ended up in the net with 26 seconds left, and that was what the game that made very, Barry very upset afterwards. Leo went back out again the next game against Washington. I think he was a minus two in that one. Played again on Saturday, did not play Sunday. So, uh, you know, and this is a question that I we've asked Barry about Leo and about guys in general. I think Cal Clutterbuck had a couple of rough ones too. Um, when you have guys that are that are kind of your your character guys, and for Barry, I think Leo Komarov, Cal Clutterbuck, Casey Sezikis, these are his character guys. They're not the big skill guys, but they fill a role and they do what they need to do and their positive presence is in the room. Um, when they start to kind of show their age a little bit or, or break down a little bit, how hard do you think it is for Barry to kind of, you know, basically change his view? I mean, he, you know, after Leo made those couple of glaring errors last week, you know, he said, I, you know, I, he's got a lot of trust in Leo Komarov. So, you know, how do you kind of change a, a, a Hall of Fame coach's mind about a guy? Well, you know, and you mentioned a couple of the other character guys and the other one I'd add to that is Matt Martin. Um, And I, you know, I think that they, there, there is so much value in the character guys that people like us can't see. And so I think the coaches, the staff and the players for sure, when they're in the locker room and, and Arthur, you know, as the media, we're allowed in and out of the locker room in non COVID time. So we can, we can see it a little bit and we can see, you know, and some of them are easier to see than others, right? Like a Johnny Boychuk's effect on the locker room is tangible. You can see it with the way that he can just lift people up and get people laughing and, and loosen people up. Um, I, I think that with Leo Komarov, it's a little different because first of all, he's not a huge fan of talking to the media um, <laughs> and part of it might be that he speaks like four different languages, maybe even more. I don't know how many languages the guy speaks, um, but he is he is one of those guys for Barry Trotz, in my opinion, that he will do whatever's asked of him. And a coach needs guys like that. Right. When I where. I thought the last time that Leo Komarov though was the most valuable to the Islanders was when Philippa was still on the, on the team because the two of them worked really well together and Val Philippa went on to the Red Wings last season. Um, but I thought, you know, and he was called the Swiss army knife and I, it may have been John Cooper that, that coined that term for him down in, in camp. I can't remember who first came up with that, but Philippa could do anything. And he and, and Leo played really well off each other. Um, but as Isles fans know, I mean, his nickname's uncle Leo, right? He's, he's always around. He's always there for the team. He does whatever the, the coaches want of him, whatever the team wants of him. Obviously 
sometimes he doesn't, he isn't able to bring his best game, best game out there. He makes mistakes like he did the other night. Um, and, and that's hard to watch because I was frustrated. I'm thinking, and I, I was really surprised that Barry came back with him the next night. But yeah. again, I think that shows the trust, as you said, and it shows that these guys have built up a bank account with Barry and that's worth something. And I think he, he's a loyal coach and he owes it to them. Um, but then, you know, then he recognizes he's got to move on and then maybe he'll try to find a different spot for Leo to play. Um, and, and maybe it is taking a rotation on the fourth line and, you know, maybe he's got to get a guy like Matt Martin out for a game and he puts Leo and maybe not, maybe he puts Ross Johnston in that spot. Um, so, you know, to answer that question from Twitter, what is Barry seeing him? I think is what, how they phrased it. It's something that we can't see from outside the locker room. Um, but I think that it's, it's a, that's a hard one for Barry Trotz is to try to get out of, get, get out of his own biases, I guess would be, you know, how can he always look at it with a fresh set of eyes? He can't. So he's got to rely on his experience and and maybe his assistant coaches to, to help him recognize that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a hot topic with the fans. They're they're That's why they're fans. They, they speak emotionally. They vent on Twitter. They vent online. They vent to me via text. Sometimes the people that I know better. And it is a lot of questions about, about Leo's value to this team. And it really, you know, he's not the highest skilled guy and probably a four-year deal wasn't necessary. And I think that leads into the next question that I'm going to go with. Uh, Hillel Lerner asks, is Lou, is Lou Lemerella's roster construction too outdated? And I, I, I always see this kind of as a, as a, it's either Lou or it's Barry. And I think you and I both know, and you can help kind of elaborate for everybody. This is a, this is a tandem thing. Like there's no, GM bringing in a guy like Leo Komarov without saying to Barry Trotz, we're bringing this guy in and I want your input on it. Like you're not, there's the days, there are some teams, I'm sure. I don't think it happens very much anymore where the GM just says, we're bringing in this guy. And the coach is like, well, I don't want this. You know, I don't, there's no, there's no separating the two. Like Lou is constructing his roster based on input from Barry and the coaching staff about how they want to play. And I think when it comes to, Leo or maybe Matt Martin getting four years at 1.5 this past offseason, Andy Green coming back. He's not bringing these guys back without Barry Trott saying, I want them back. No, and I think that, you know, the, the question is, is the roster, is the type of roster outdated? Uh, that's a tough question because this game is evolving and it's evolving fast. And um, Matt Martin just played a milestone game recently and he was asked about it. And he said, you know, he was sort of proud of the fact that he was able to stay relevant. And, and Barry Trott spoke to that too, that this game changes so quickly. And actually, I, I'm sure, I think you were on that call, Arthur, and, and Matt was talking about how it used to be bigger and stronger. And now you're, everyone's trying to get lighter and skinnier and faster. And he was laughing about it. So, you know, there, there's all these different ways that the game has changed and the rules have changed, right? I mean, uh, these little taps on the hand that used to be part of the way you played now are penalties, right? So there's all these different things that these players have to evolve. So is Lou stuck in the past back when he was winning cups with New Jersey? I don't know. I think he's a smarter guy than that. I think he has been able to evolve. Um, and I do think he puts more stock in the locker room and character guys that we were just talking about than the, than other general man, not all general managers, but then some, right. And, and I don't, and I think that was where JG Pajot, right. He could offer a lot on the ice, both ends of the ice, 200 foot player, but they also knew that, that he's a, he's a real character guy. And so I think that Lou vetting these players, I don't think that can be outdated. 
um, in terms of the importance of what that brings um, in terms of the actual style that they play. I, you know, I don't know. Can you, can you say loyalty to players is, is ever outdated? I don't know if I agree with that. So I, you know, in terms of what you're saying, Arthur, how it's a tandem between Lou and Barry, I think that that's, um, I think it's valuable. I don't think it's outdated. Do they have a longer term plan? Maybe. And I think they're both smart enough to understand that this is going somewhere. This isn't about winning a game today. Obviously, it'd be nice if they could win along the way. Um, but I do think that they've got a plan in place that maybe the right they're just we're not privy to. Yeah, and I think a, a big part of it too is that we're we're in year three with uh, with this GM coach tandem, and you have to look at what what you inherit and what you know what sort of cupboard you have when you come in. You know, I don't think Barry Trotz coached the same way uh, or encouraged the same sort of guys to be on the Capitals when he came in there because you have an established group. Their core is super high skilled and you're really looking to just sort of fill in the gaps with that group. And frankly, when you think back to what Washington did in the year they won the cup, some of the key guys in their cup run were guys like Devante Smith-Pelly, who is the sort of guy that you want to have, you know, a character guy who's maybe not the highest skilled and hasn't always been the most consistent, but you catch lightning in a bottle with a guy like that and and you can be off somewhere to complement some of your higher skilled guys. I think the Islanders core just isn't as high skilled and you don't they didn't have a lot coming right around the corner. Um, it's certainly debatable whether they've developed those guys the right way. That's always up for debate uh, or whether Lou has sort of stocked the cupboard even more having traded away the first round pick for John Gabriel Pajot. But uh, but I think you know, Barry Trotz is, is an adaptable guy. He's been coaching so long. He's not going to just sort of say my way or the highway. Uh, and I think that they've come up together with an idea of how this team needs to be, needs to play to be successful. And at this point, it's hard to argue with it. Maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll be arguing with it a bit more, but for now, given the track record, um, I don't think uh, either of us or a lot of the fans out there are in a position to say, uh, you're going to have to pull a 180 right now and change course. My last question from Twitter, even though we have a lot more and we'll be getting to the more, it's going to be a regular segment this season. Uh, Matt Kammerer, who is a former usher from the Coliseum, has a question for AJ asking, since you've been around this this team or any other team recently, um, have you gotten on the ice with the NHL players? Uh, and it, what was that like? Or maybe the last time you did play with NHL players. So I'm curious about that too, AJ. When was the last time you were on the ice with <laughs> NHLers? been a while um i am the last the last time i pulled on a team usa jersey for competition was in 2003 so we are we're, we're some some ways away from it but um you know i i did use i we we did sometimes play with the guys in the off season uh, training wise and and i um i trained up here in boston for the most part so i would work out with a guy named mike boyle and that's where all the nhl guys up here who are here in the summer for all different teams played so we'd all work out as a big group and then, you know, that was in the morning and then inevitably we'd get ice time somewhere and we would just go out and either do drills sometimes separately, sometimes together. We would do, I, I always thought it was sort of funny because I'd play with some of the guys and, and in the, I'm 5'11 for those that don't know. So in the women's game, I was generally the tallest or one of the tallest uh, on the ice. And so whenever I would go up against the NHL guys, I'm like, oh man, these, these guys, they've got long reach. They're you know, and all my teammates were like, yeah, now you know how it feels. You got somebody <laughs> like all gangly and got this long stick. So, so we did do that. And then, you know, at the tail end of my career after the 2002 Olympics, I, my husband had actually moved to Manhattan. Um, and I was there, none of my teammates were there. So I was on my own. So I would go to the Rangers practice facility, 
up in Westchester and I would skate there. Uh, I know Islanders fans do not want to hear this, but I skated with the, I would usually skate with some of the players coming back from injury or rehabbing uh, after the team practice. So I'd get out there and sometimes I'd have the whole sheet ice to myself, which sounds great. It's horrible if you're trying to train, by the way. <laughs> so I always loved it when there were some guys there and we could just, even if it was just practicing one timers or trying to do one-on-ones or passing drills. So, um, so yeah, I have skated with some guys. I've never skated with any of the Islanders. Um, I wouldn't want to want to do that right now. Cause my mind would try to write checks that my body certainly can't cash anymore. <laughs> Well, if it ever happens, we're going to talk about it here. That's for sure. So <laughs> We're going to uh, put all the cameras away. That is for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, it's been another great show. I'm glad uh, AJ's great adventure today uh, ended with you back home safe and sound after riding the Amtrak down and back almost to New York for a game that got postponed. So uh, I'm very happy that you could join us as usual. And we'll be back next week with more No Sleep Till Belmont. I just want to say to everyone, thanks for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and review. If you're joining the show, it really helps us out. You can also subscribe to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month by visiting theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont. Thanks, AJ. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.